I'm talking with Ken Golden, professor of mathematics and adjunct professor of bioengineering at the University of Utah about sea ice. Now, both of these regions you're talking about, they're, they're extreme, obviously, since they're at the poles. Are, are they also very exciting places to go to? Oh, absolutely. Especially going to the Antarctic. It's like a different world. Because also just the process of going down there on an ice-breaking ship, you know, meeting the ship, loading up a ship for a few days. I mean, it's not like hopping on an airplane and, you know, in a, in, in a couple hours you're there. It's a, it's a major sort of process and an adventure to go down there. And you sail through the, through, you know, 30, 40-foot waves sometimes for a week to get down there. And then, you know, you, it gets colder and colder and colder. And it's like, it's like, you're, it's like you're going to a different planet in some sense. Um, I'd say one of the most viscerally exciting things and scary things that happened to me was on my first Antarctic expedition with the Australian Sea Ice Group in 1998, and we were, uh, we were I guess, about 12 hours inside the ice edge. We had just gone out onto the, uh, to the ice around midnight or so to do our first little uh, set of experiments, and then we went to bed, and about 2.30 in the morning, the fire alarm went off, and I thought, well, why are they having a fire alarm now, you know, and it's like, anyway, you get up, and you smell smoke, and everybody had to go to the the, uh, the heli deck on the, the back of the ship to sort of take roll, and so on, that's the normal procedure, and anyway, then we saw there was there was smoke pouring out of the top of the ship, and we were saying, well, don't be alarmed, but we have an uncontrolled fire in the engine room, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I prove theorems for a living. What am I, what am I doing on this burning ship in Antarctica? And, you know, because you know that, you know, first of all, you're in the ice pack. Nobody's coming to get you easily. It's not like you're going to, you know, you're way too far to, to get off the ship with a helicopter. I mean, these things don't have, you know, huge ranges. You're not like flying back to Australia 2,000 miles or whatever. So it was, it was quite an exciting and scary experience. And uh, eventually, uh, like 15 minutes later, they would then, the first announcement was followed up by, well, don't be alarmed, but we're lowering the lifeboats. And and the next day was I think with wind chill was about minus 65 Celsius. So so fortunately, even though the main engine for the ship was severely damaged in the fire and the, the control room, all the controls were were completely melted in this disaster. The amazing engineers on board the ship were actually able to jury rig a control system so that from the bridge they were able to control a backup engine, and then we were therefore able to limp home on our own and make it back back to port back into Hobart. So. And so it was, it was really quite an exciting and, you know, one of these experiences where it makes you take stock of where you are and what you're doing and, and that you really are in an isolated and exciting and dangerous area, actually. So that was one experience that I found particularly exciting and unusual, as a, particularly as a professor of mathematics. Um, another one was on a 1994 expedition, um, a U.S. expedition on the Nathaniel B. Palmer. Uh, part of the plan was to, to have a 10-day drift camp where we set up you know, millions and millions of dollars of equipment out on the ice, and we had this, you know, all sorts of great experiments going on. We had electrical lines going out to all this equipment out on the ice, and anyway, about, I think it was about 5.30 in the evening, many of us were at dinner, and um, we got a report from the bridge that the camp was starting to break apart. And basically what happened was, we, it turned out we were in some massive shear zone, and the ice was tearing apart, basically. And in particular, our main street was tearing apart. And so the ice was breaking up, but there were also ridges being formed. It was absolutely fascinating process to see. I call it like plate tectonics on a fast time scale. It was like little mountain ranges being formed in front of your very eyes over the space of, as I said, about a half an hour. The sea ice is a very dynamic, you know, it's not stationary. It's very dynamic. It's, it's, it moves around based on currents and winds and so on. And there was, as I said, there was a large, we were plopped in the middle of a huge shear zone. And um, so our main street got broken apart. There was a lot of discussion about how to 
recover the, the equipment without loss of life. And anyway, it was a fascinating and interesting experience to go through and to see all this in action, basically. And I actually got to uh, go out a little bit later and and uh, recover uh, some, use a big steam drill on a, on a pressure ridge to re- extract a thermistor strain, you know, again, in, this all, in all this broken up ice and stuff. And it was really an interesting experience. I've had a lot of interesting experiences down there. Another one, particularly from an intellectual point of view, that opened my eyes to some fascinating mathematical questions was to be out, and this was, again, on this, on this same cruise, this 1994 Anflux expedition, Antarctic Zone Flux Experiment, where we were in the Eastern Weddell Sea, in this an area called the, uh, which was associated with the so-called Weddell Polynia, which is like a giant hole in the sea ice, basically. And we were down in that area to investigate these inter- interesting heat flux processes in this particular region. Anyway, it was midnight, and the, the winds are raging, and I'm basically looking down under uh, at the, the snow layer, and I'm watching water percolate up onto the surface of the ice and flood this area just just underneath the snow. And I realized that this was basically percolation in action. And for the previous 15 years or so, I had been studying from a, from a purely mathematical perspective, percolation models and this critical behavior of fluid or electrical transport in these kinds of systems. And I certainly thought at the time that, that that's what I was seeing here, that this was basically a critical phenomenon described by percolation theory. And however, at that point, I realized how important it was because now you have seawater flooding up through the surface because of now all of a sudden the sea ice is permeable because it's been made warm enough. And so, as I said, there's seawater percolating and fusing to the surface and flooding it, taking a slushy mix on the surface. And then, you know, a day later when it got much colder, that, that, that slushy mix froze. And so the fundamental mechanism for, for sea ice formation in the Antarctic, I realized, was controlled by this uh, percolation process that I had been studying as a mathematician. And so my thoughts as a mathematician were redirected at that point. I realized, hey, this percolation stuff is really interesting in the context of sea ice. And so that then led to a basically even, even results that we've been getting in the last couple of years. And that was back in 1994 when I realized, because of what I saw in the Antarctic, that there were a lot of interesting mathematical issues associated with the, uh, the transitional behavior of the microstructure and how important that would be and that it was really worthy of study. Another kind of exciting thing that you see, as I said, get, you know, just getting down to the, to the Antarctic can be very exciting. In particular, I, my first time down in 1980 when I was an undergraduate, I was a senior at Dartmouth, and I had worked on sea ice on the interaction of electromagnetic waves, radar waves with sea ice. And my advisor, Steve Ackley, who I still know to this day and still talk with and communicate, he asked me down. Uh, they were going on a United States Coast Guard cutter polar sea and uh, down to the Weddell Sea, but in the summer, which was winter in the Antarctic. And I remember, you know, uh, basically encountering being on the bridge at night of the, the polar sea and just looking at the, um, they have an indicator that indicates the, the level of the rolls that the ship is taking. And when I realized, looked at this, at this meter and seeing that this ship was taking 50-degree rolls from the vertical and seeing the, seeing the floor basically drop out from under you and know that if you don't hang on, you know, this is like a 50-degree ski slope. You know, 30 degrees is an expert slope, and this is much, much, much steeper than that, and this is a slippery floor. If you happen to let go, you're going to go flying, basically. So I realized how sort of I made an immediate impression on me, like, hey, this is a pretty dangerous area and a pretty dangerous just a process of getting down there is pretty exciting. 
Another another thing that happened was actually on that trip was we would take helicopters every day, and the helicopters would drop these big Coast Guard helicopters, and they would drop us off on these ice floes where we wanted to go. And one of the last days we were, I think it was the last day we were out there after being out there for about two months or so, we we landed on a very thin little floe. It was no more than no more the size of a small bedroom, basically, maybe 20 feet across, and um, the helicopter couldn't even land because it was so small and probably so thin. And maybe, you know, it was maybe 30, maybe 20, 30 centimeters, like a foot, a foot deep or something like that. And anyway, off in the distance, maybe 100, 100, 150 yards away, we heard a and we realized it was whales. Um, very, you know, very, very close by. And my advisor thought, well, if these guys are killer whales, we could soon be in the water because they would mistake us for penguins. They would ride on the ice, break the ice flow, and we're in their domain, and they eat us. And so anyway, so my advisor is, you know, rapidly calling, walking, talking to the, radioing to the helicopter to come get us fast. And anyway, and so but before we knew it, you know, there were whales like literally just a few feet away from us, just checking us out. And but then we could see that they were minke whales and they were not killer whales. And it was just one of those amazing experiences where here you are in the miles and miles and miles from any other human being and you're out on an ice floe and you're basically, you know, you're you're eye to eye with a whale. And it was just it was really one of those amazing experiences. And I would have to say, though, that in this last trip, you know, certainly maybe not exciting for, for people, for, for scientists that go down there every day as, as geophysicists or, or biologists, Arctic biologists or Antarctic polar biologists or whatever, but, uh, but for a professor of mathematics, um, this last time down was the first time where we really, really had our own experiments to run. Uh, I brought a, a student down there, Adam Cooley, who had been an RU student, a research experience for undergraduate student. He basically began with me after his, after his freshman year at the University of Utah. And he's been working with me ever, ever since then for the last uh, several years. Uh, I brought him down there. Uh, this was the first time I brought a student down to the Antarctic. I brought a bunch to the, to the Arctic, but, uh, but this was the first time bringing one down to the Antarctic. And we ran a whole series of experiments that were in direct connection with our mathematical work. And uh, where I've been down there many times before and helped out people and then, you know, sort of done some of our own little things. But this was the first time where we had our own experimental program, that, again, that was directly connected with our mathematical work. And that was very exciting and really rewarding for me to go down there as a, as a professor of mathematics, as I said, to, you know, to, to be engaged in such, in such activity and actually get, get successful data. We're now looking at the data now, and we've, and we've got some, just some great stuff that really shows some of the things that we're, that we're really interested in. That's Ken Golden, who's a professor of mathematics and adjunct professor of bioengineering at the University of Utah. Coming up in part four, more on how undergraduates are involved in the sea ice research and how the research has been applied to lung and bone porosity.